This is Renegade's Roundup. Your best source for recaps, info, and discussions about the Arlington Renegades of the XFL. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Zach. Hey, what's up, Renegades fans? We've got a really interesting and different episode in store for you all this time around, and it's only because of some very extreme and very extenuating circumstances that we're even considering doing the episode this way. Believe me when I say there was a host of really weird reasons that led to us not doing an episode about a month ago, and we instantly regretted it. We missed being able to hang out with each other, we missed being able to do the show, and most of all, we missed pumping out content for you guys and getting to hear your awesome uh, feedback. So we were trying to do everything in our power not to miss this week's episode, especially with a playoff push looming. It's a really big deal. However, the first recording day that we had scheduled was a day that was absolutely awful for me work-wise. And when I tell you it was awful, it is literally like the worst work day that I had had in over a month. It was just awful. I got home really, really late. I was in a really poopy mood. It was just going to be really, really sucky trying to pump out an episode that evening. So we thought, hey, let's try it the next day. Lo and behold, the next day that we are scheduled for is one that Joe gets called in for for work. And being a a news anchor, he's got to cover the news when it's breaking. And unfortunately, there was breaking news that required his attention. So, with all that being said, this week's episode is going to be what we call machete style. And it's not going to be like the machete style you know from watching Star Wars movies. Look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. But rather, we're going to be chopping this show up into different segments, different cylinders, as it were. And each of us are going to be assigned a particular cylinder. I have the great responsibility of kicking things off. And then Joe is going to take over cylinder number two on his own. I'll come back for cylinder number three. And then Joe will close us out with the predictions and thoughts for the game against DC. We've got a really great show lined up. We truly do. It's just going to be a little bit different. So, gear up, Renegades fans. It is time for Cylinder number one. Cylinder number one, as you know, is a look around the league. It's just going to take a look at some of the highlights from what happened over the course of the XFL in the past six to seven days and anything that may be noteworthy. There were a lot of activations and reserve list additions that happened over the course of the last week, but a lot of it was a guard being put on reserve list here and a running back being signed because of a wide receiver injury there. But no really big headliners other than St. Louis quarterback Nick Tiano being put on the injured list after helping St. Louis to a victory in overtime last week against Vegas. One of two overtime games that happened last week. It was a lot of fun watching all of those games, let me tell you. But after that, 
Tiana was put on the injured list, and they signed Vinny Testaverde Jr. Vincent is what the official PR page said. Vincent Testaverde Jr. was signed to add a little bit more quarterback depth. But other than that, there's really not a whole lot of super noteworthy uh, additions or subtractions. I feel like most teams' rosters are fairly set at this point. There's a few teams that only have two games left, and then there are some others that have guaranteed playoff spots, and we'll get to touch base on all of that in the third cylinder, which I will be covering for you later on in this episode. But one of the big things that's going to be affecting Arlington in particular with their playoff push was the news that broke this week that star linebacker Donald Payne is out for the year with a high ankle sprain. And Joe and I were talking about that off-air, obviously, and texting, and it was just so surreal for last week's episode to be a player profile talking about the success of Donald Payne, and he has a really solid game against Orlando, And then, lo and behold, we find out Wednesday that he is out for the remainder of the season. And it just sucks. Because he was, as we mentioned, in the top two, top three in the league in total tackles. He was a playmaker. He was a leader. And it's not like he's deceased or anything. He still has that influence in the locker room. But to not be able to set that example on the playing field is a huge blow to this Renegades defense. But what's really cool is the team's social media page has been highlighting the touchdown by Devontae Bowsby. They've been highlighting Ryan Mueller, who's been a solid addition to the defense. And we talked about how he ended up back on the team last week, which was really interesting. But they've been highlighting some of those types of plays and players. And Joe Powell with his interception, he's got some influence on special teams as well. There's still some really solid defenders that are going to have to show up big against the D.C. defenders in the upcoming game this week. And Joe is going to touch base on that during the fourth and final cylinder this week. But it's going to be really interesting to see how they do it without their star, Donald Payne. We obviously wish him the best and hope that he can make a speedier recovery than what the diagnosis currently says. If Arlington should make it to the semifinal, should make it to the playoffs, maybe a couple of weeks rest here in this uh, second half of the transition between week 8 and 9, having week 9 off, having week 10 off, a few days off between 10 and the semifinal, maybe he could find his way back. But from what we've heard from Stoops, it's likely that he is shut down for the year. The team also announced on their social media, we talked about how active they've been on social media this week, uh, that they lead the league in 19 takeaways. And obviously a big help with that was the five that they created against Orlando. I've always said this team is best when they get out in front and when they win the turnover battle. And those are two things that they did very, very well against Orlando. And Joe's going to touch base on that in just a few minutes here. But to lead the league with 19 takeaways, I think that is a testament to the balance that this defensive unit has. Even though we've lost players along the way like Payne and Hawkins, We have been able to find a way to be consistently good at forcing turnovers. Consistently good. 
I mean, you take a look at 19 turnovers and divide them by the eight games. This team is forcing almost two and a half turnovers per game. Obviously, you can't have a half turnover. But to be averaging somewhere in the ballpark of two to three turnovers per game is just an outrageous number for a defense. And it's really going to be the defense that we're going to need to rely on in these next couple of weeks if we hope to make it to the playoffs or, depending on how the cards fall, we could end up hosting a playoff game. And that's something that I'm going to touch base on in cylinder number three. One of the other things that is worth noting is that jerseys are officially going on sale. Depending on when you're listening to this episode, uh, they may already be online. So check out XFL Shop. uh, Check out the XFL social media pages to find out if they're available. But they're going to be selling number 54, D. Johnson, in honor of The Rock, obviously. It's a jersey that he wore to all of the home openers uh, when he was helping kick off the season. The 54 has a lot of meaning with the player 54 mantra that they have been keeping this season. And then the number 23 is going to be the other jersey number that's available. So you're not going to be able to get specific player numbers, at least not yet. But to have 54s and 23s in honor of the 2023 season available in home colors is still a really cool thing. From what I've read from our friend Reed over at the MarkCast, you really need to order yours by the end of the day on April 15th in order to guarantee that you'll have your jersey in time for the Week 10 game this season. If you order it a little bit after that and your team is in the playoffs, then great, but there are 60% fans that are not going to have that luxury. So April 15th is kind of the cutoff in order to guarantee you'll get to rep your team at least one week this year. I know Joe's really excited about this announcement. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, it's, It's a great progress and it's a great stride for the league, even if it is just a little bit tardy, in my opinion. Finally, this is a little bit of USFL news that we have really never done in an XFL in a Renegades-themed podcast, but I felt like it was worth noting, and maybe we can put it to you all to provide some comments and some thoughts on it. But it was uh, announced recently that the quarterback for the Birmingham Stallions, Jamar Smith, he said that he was in favor of merging the two champions for a complete championship game between the USFL and the XFL. He says, quote, merging two spring pro leagues, champion versus champion, to see the competition between the two leagues, I think it should happen and will soon. The Stallions are the defending champs, so if there was to be something like this, it would probably be someone like Birmingham or it could be a team like New Jersey or uh, Philadelphia. I feel like those are the two powers in the North Division of the USFL right now. And you could see one of them playing somebody like D.C. or Seattle or Houston or whoever. There's a lot of toss-up in the air right now for that. But to have that possibility is really, really interesting. I don't know if I see it happening like this year or even next year, but I do think it's a possibility. Heck, it's how the Super Bowl got started. So it's entirely possible we could have a spring league equivalent of the Super Bowl if the two sides could agree to such a thing. 
Find us on social media at renegades underscore pod to let us know what you think. Or you can find Renegades Roundup on Facebook. And tell us your thoughts on how in favor you are of a USFL slash XFL championship game. I think I'm in favor of it, but I just don't see it happening anytime soon. So that's kind of the news from around the area and some news from outside of the area, outside of the league as well. But uh, that's going to do it for this segment. I'm going to toss it over to Joe now as we rev up your engines for Cylinder number two. So as we head into Cylinder 2, it's your boy Joe coming in with a look at last week's Renegades game. The Guardians couldn't pull out the victory against the Renegades. Renegades win this one 18-16. And a big key to this game was something me and Zach had talked about in last week's episode, the turnover battle. We won that 5-3, two picks and three fumbles. One return for a touchdown by Devontae Bowsby. So... Good looks there for the Renegades, especially with this defense. I'm telling you, it is a championship defense. If only the offense would play up to par with them. Now, Luis Perez's first game in action with the Renegades went 16-25 for 190 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions, though. When he did that against the Vipers, when he played the Guardians with the Vipers, he went 20-28 for for 269 and three touchdowns. So... Now at this point, do we start to wonder, is it the play calling? Is it the offensive scheme? Because now we have a uh, a benchmark to look at. Luis Perez, inevitably, I mean, the Vipers are not as good as the Renegades, or at least I don't think they are. And for him to go off on the Guardians with the Vipers, and then to not do the same with the Renegades, not great. In fact, there's only one touchdown yet again by the offense, and that was a run by Davion Smith, who had 13 carries for 44 yards, and that one touchdown. Lady Brown had nine carries for 47 yards, and man, Lady Brown, I remember, I was wondering, I was like, where did Lady Brown come from? I'm pretty sure he went to West Virginia, so that was kind of cool to hear his name again. They combined for 91 yards, and again, average, I guess, there comes a point where we go, is it the offensive line? Is it the play calling? I know at this point it's not Luis Perez. I don't think it was Will Sloter, and I don't think it was Kyle Plitt. Eh, maybe it was a little bit of Kyle Plitt, but I don't think it was Sloter, and I really think Sloter might have been on the right track with what he said about the offensive play calling. Did it get him canned from the team? Yes, it did, but at this point in time now, guys, we have to kind of think about it, and it's just, I mean... 190 yards is nothing to be, you know, upset about, but no touchdowns? Come on, man. Like, he should be, but he should have gone off. He should have gone off, and it's just frustrating at this point, especially with how well the defense has been playing, because the fumble for the touchdown was a momentum swing that kept Arlington in front, and again, like I said, that's Devontae Bowsby. That's the defense. The defense is keeping this team in this game, in this season, if the defense was... They are the best defense in the league at this point. I will just flat out say that right now. The Renegades have the best defense in the XFL. And so, 
at what point do you go, okay, we need to make a change on the offensive side as far as coaching goes? Because I know Bob Stoops is good friends with, with the brothers, and I know that, you know, maybe it's, it is the player sometimes, but at what point do you just say enough's enough? 18 points? They scored 10 the first time against the Guardians. The Guardians inherently the worst team in the XFL. I know they, they won their game against D.C. I You know, lightning in a bottle, we'll call it. What what do we do at this point to get this consistent offensive uh, production? What do we do to get an, a consistent offensive production? And you know what, to my credit, and I will call myself on this, they're being consistent. Consistently not getting enough points. So that's, that's where I'll stay with the offense. There might need to be some changes done when it comes to the offensive play calling side of things now with the defense they did force a game-ending fumble in the last two minutes which sealed the victory because i mean hey two-point game man field goal would have won it for the guardians and now the renegades are sitting in a good spot now they're sitting in a good spot when it comes to the playoffs however how with how crazy the xfl has been i would like to just Maybe see a little. I mean, at this point, they're probably good. They're probably gonna make. They're probably gonna make the playoffs. They are two games up on the Brahmas, and then head-to-head factor comes in if they lose their next two games, which ones against DC. I'll get into that in the fourth segment here. Um, but they're one game behind uh, the Roughnecks, and they've clinched their South Division Championship berth. So. Whoever makes it out between the Renegades and the Brahmas will play the Roughnecks for the South Division. Now, they haven't clinched home field. The Renegades could still clinch home field. They do have a game with the Roughnecks still to come. And so, this that's what makes this next week crucial for the Renegades when it comes to playing D.C. Because a win and a Roughnecks loss, well, guess what? Now we're all in the same boat going into the final week of the season. But in order to beat the... Defenders. What was my train of thought? In order to beat the defenders, and in order to beat the Roughnecks and get that home field advantage, get that playoff berth, the Renegades are going to need to have to rely on the offense. Now, I did mention some playoff stuff, and I know that I'm going to throw it over to Zach now here for the cylinder number three, and he will talk about playoff scenarios. Hey, what's up, Renegades fans? Zach Attack back again for cylinder number three, and this one is going to be a little bit different than the ones that we've usually done over the course of this season. We've done some player profiles, and we've done some examinations of some really interesting ball games when we were trying to get caught up. But with the playoffs looming and with teams like D.C. and Houston having solidified their playoff spots, we thought this would be a good time to try to give some clarity as to how the tiebreaker situation works and as to what we can expect the decision-making process to look like and who the potential hosts could be for these semifinal games as we move into the last two weeks of the season. For those of you that keep tabs on the XFL pretty intently, maybe you've got a good idea already, and that's great. But for those of you that just want to know about how the Renegades could get into the playoffs, that's going to be a majority of what we take a look at here in this segment. XFL.com slash standings has some very clear-cut rules 
on how they come up with the potential tiebreaker discussions, and they've got an eight-tiered system that I'm going to try to explain to you briefly. The first one, obviously, is head-to-head record. The second one is the best win-loss percentage in division games. The other one is going to be strength of victory in all games, which is the combined record of your opponents in your victories. Level number four is the best combined ranking among division teams in points scored and points allowed in all games. Level number five, best combined ranking among all teams in points scored and points allowed in all games. So we go from division to league-wide from four to five. Level six, best net points in all games. Level seven is the best net touchdowns in all games. And then if by some miracle everything is still perfectly even after all seven previous things are looked at, then they go to a coin toss. But examining the point differential and the win-loss record within the division, the South has some really interesting nuances that aren't always in Arlington's favor. So we're going to have to take a look at that and hope for certain cards to fall certain ways, most notably in week number nine this week. If we are Renegades fans, as we claim to be, we do actually need to be Guardians fans in San Antonio this week. If by some miracle the Brahmas find a way to upend the defenders at home in week 10, and let's say we lose to DC on the road, and we don't find a way to take care of business against Houston at home in week 10, Arlington could finish with a 4-6 and six record. If the Brahmas can beat the Guardians and beat the defenders, they also finish with a 4 and six record. Now, here's where things get a little bit interesting. If they do find a way to sweep Orlando, they would go 2-0 and against Orlando, 1-1 one and one against Arlington, and then they are 0-2 against Houston. So by my calculations, there is a chance that this 3-3 three and three record within the division could force a similar situation to what Arlington then has, which would be a 3-3 three and three record against the division. So they would have exactly the same win percentage, which is what tier number two would be. So we go to the head-to-head, they split the head-to-head one-to-one. We go to level two, best win-loss percentage in division games. If San Antonio finds a way to go 3 and 3 in the division and we end up losing to Houston and go 3 and 3 in division we go to tier number 3 which is the strength of victory in all games which is the combined record of opponents in said victories that's where things get dicey because if we don't beat DC on the road and San Antonio beats DC at home then DC's potential eight wins that they go into that game with in week 10 if they beat us in week nine means that that is an eight game differential in that level three strength of victory in all games the combined record of the opponents in those wins we take a look at 
the one win that the Guardians have, the eight wins that the Defenders have, the four wins that the Renegades have. We're looking at 12, 13 wins on their record at that point. And I can guarantee you that Arlington does not have that many wins to their tally because the teams that they've beaten are teams like Vegas, who has a 2-6 and six record. Teams like Orlando that has a 1-7 and seven record. Teams like San Antonio that have a 2-6 and six record. Those are Arlington's wins. They have a combined record of 2, 4, 5 wins. And look at that, 12, 19 losses. So if we're going to level 3 in the head-to-head matchup, in the tiebreaker scenarios, then Arlington's opponent's record is not going to be nearly as good as San Antonio's opponent's record should they upset DC. So there's a lot at stake to be considered here because you would have DC's eight wins. You would have two wins against Orlando, who has a combined record of one win and you know so many losses. And then you have Arlington's four wins. So that would be 13 wins to the total tally for San Antonio. So 13, obviously, bigger number than six. A little disconcerting when you look at it from that perspective. But then you also take a look at maybe like level four, best combined ranking among division teams in points scored and points allowed in games. Unfortunately, that is also a little bit in San Antonio's favor because of their margin of victory in their wins within the division. We only beat San Antonio by two. They beat us by six the following week. We only beat Orlando by one point and then by two points. They beat Orlando 30-12 to 12 on the road. That's a margin of 18 right there. So, if it ends up going to where both teams are 4-6 and six at the end of those 10 weeks, San Antonio could end up leapfrogging us after an upset of DC. So we need to be Guardians fans, and we need to be DC fans in Week 10, but not in Week 9. There's a lot more convolutedness for the North standings, and I really don't know if we have enough time to get into it. But suffice it to say that there is a really, really big game between St. Louis and Seattle. St. Louis is 6-2 overall. Seattle is 5-3 after a very narrow defeat to D.C., just barely missing their conversion late in the ballgame. If Seattle is able to find a way to win that ballgame, then we're looking at more of those similar types of tiebreaker scenarios headed into week 10, and it'll be the Guardians against the Battlehawks and the Vipers against the Sea Dragons. Both of those are very winnable games for the North Division clubs uh, in the form of St. Louis and, and Seattle. So we could be looking at this scenario all over again up north, but suffice it to say, we really just need the Renegades to pull out one out of the next two whether that's finding some way to upset DC on the road, which is what Joe's going to examine in the next segment, or whether that means we find a way to defend Choctaw Stadium against the Roughnecks, who have looked a little vulnerable in the last three to four weeks. They've looked a lot more beatable than they did when we first started the season, but they also do have Silvers back, which means that their offense is probably about to start clicking on all cylinders again. 
And speaking of cylinders, we're getting ready to wind this thing down, but I hope that this gives you a little bit of insight as to how all of this may shake out for your Renegades. A 4-6 record is not where we want to be, but if the Brahmas can finish 2-8 and eight or 3-7, and seven, then yes, Arlington can still make the playoffs because they just have the better overall record of 4-6. and six. If both teams finish 4-6, and six, there is a chance that we could see San Antonio going to the semifinals instead. Now, let's take a look at the very, very outside potential, the outlier of this situation here, and say that the Renegades find a way to win out. They find a way to beat DC on the road, and then they come back, and they've got a resurgence, and they win at home in Week 10. If the Roughnecks suffer one defeat in the next two weeks, then they would be finishing with a 6-4 and four record, the same as Arlington. If Arlington can win out and the Roughnecks go 1-1, one and one, then we've got a couple of 6-4 and four teams to try to figure out what the tiebreaker would be. They split the head-to-head, but Houston swept San Antonio with their overtime victory. So the win-loss percentage in division games, level 2, does favor Houston, but it does not necessarily guarantee that they are going to host that championship game. They are also 2-0 against Orlando, the same way we are, but if they go 1-1 against us, then it, it does shake things up a bit. I have heard from sources that there are searches for available staff members to work at Choctaw Stadium should the situation arise where we could host a game for the semifinal, which would be played on April the 29th. I have marked myself as available, although I have my doubts that that is as far as we're going to make it. I do think that Arlington is going to make it to the semifinals. I personally also think that they're going to make it with a 4-6 and six record and I think that the semifinal will be played in Houston. That is my prediction for how these last two weeks are going to play out. And Joe is going to tell you what my score pick is in this upcoming DC ball game when we make final predictions in the next segment. But I do think that we're going to have a hard time keeping up with the offensive firepower that both DC and Houston have to offer. And I think that we make the playoffs by way of San Antonio faltering late in the year. So it'll be the most likely 7-3 and three Texans against the 4-6 and six Renegades in the semifinals at TDECU Stadium. That's my projection. That's my playoff outlook as of the end of Week 8 going into Week 9. But there's still a lot of football left to be played. So thanks for tuning in to my thoughts and analysis on the playoff projections for your Renegades and for the XFL as a whole. We'll have a much clearer picture by the end of this week, but there will still be a lot to look at as we get ready for Week 10. So be sure to come back next week for another examination, and hopefully next time Joe and I will be in the same room where we'll be able to have a two-way conversation instead of me talking at you. But that is going to do it for this segment, so rev them up, folks. It is time for cylinder number four.
Coming into Cylinder 4, we have a preview now of the game against the DC Defenders this week, and it's going to be a big one for the Renegades. The Rock tweeting, Audi Field is sold out for the last home game of the year. Next week, they uh, are at San Antonio playing the Brahmas, so this is the last game of the year in DC for the Defenders. So it's going to be a big one for the Renegades to try to beat that home field advantage and the dreaded Beer Snake, which I still think is one of the coolest things. So the Defenders come into this week after winning 34-33 after a failed conversion by Seattle on a last-minute touchdown. So squeaking out a win, lost to the Guardians week before, so some could say maybe they're faltering a little bit. I don't know. A win's a win, though. So now they're 7-1, and and Jordan Tiamu... You know, killing it for the defenders. 17 to 26, 247 yards, four touchdowns in last week's game. Abram Smith, 17 carries, 66 yards, and a touchdown. And then Chris Blair doing it all through the air. He's he was the he was the guy for Tamu. He five catches, 146 yards, and one touchdown. And you know, this is a big one here. This is a big one. 66.7% on third down conversions. You. Oof, that's that's tough. This is a good offense, but guess what? The Renegades have a great defense as well. So we are going to have to go into the keys to the game here. You know, obviously, gotta get the Tiamu. You gotta pick him off. You gotta win the turnover battle. We are 4-0 when we win the turnover battle. Seattle won the turnover battle 2-1 last week and still lost. But I think if we win like the stats don't lie. 4-0 when we win the turnover battle. I like that in our favor if we can do that. Um you're going to have to have fewer punts than D.C. Marquette King's great. His punting definitely puts us in great field position. But just have fewer points. Score more points. Literally, okay, I know that, that was lame. Score more points, though. Just score more points. And if we can do that, then anything's possible, honestly. And don't let the, don't let the sold-out Audi crowd get to you. It's going to be sold out. It's going to be loud. There's going to be a beer snake. It's going to be wonderful to watch on TV. Don't let that get to you when you're on the field. They've all been in situations before, whether it be in college or in the NFL, where they've been in a hostile environment. They were in a hostile environment earlier this year in St. Louis and San Antonio. So you got to not let that get to you. you got to somehow find a way to get the offense going. Let Luis Perez cook and... For the love of God, if we don't score more than 15 points again, I'm going to lose my absolute mind. Because I don't think, with what the D.C. defense has given up these last two weeks, 30 points, over 30 points each game, we should have a lot more points. And I swear to God, you got to get rid of you got to get rid of the offensive coordinator if 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 you can't get over 15 points. I'm sorry, unless unless everyone's dropping passes and fumbling the ball and throwing interceptions, then okay, you get a little bit of a pass there. And it's going to be a really a Smith versus Smith game. Davion versus Abram. The better ground game could win it, which I don't think bodes well for us. That's just my opinion. Um, You could make your own, but our running game has not been solid at all this year. Uh, maybe this is the game, finally. Second to last game. Maybe this is the game we turn it around and pull something out of our ass. Oh, Zach's not going to like that I said that. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a tough game. Zach has 30-16 DC wins this game. I am actually going to go a little closer. I am going to say DC wins this game. But I think it's going to be 17-10. 17-10 DC wins. I think the defense for the Renegades is stout. I think that 
the the defense for the defenders isn't as stout, but I'm just I have so many questions with the Renegades offense. Who knows? What I do know though is $189 is too much for a jersey. I know I think Zach talked about that in one of the other segments. Way, 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 way too many. Too too much money for a jersey, especially a jersey that you can either have number 23 for the 2023 season, or wow, who really wants a Dwayne The Rock Johnson jersey? Not me. Ugh, like I get it, dude. Like you're number 54. Congrats. I really wanted a jersey, if you couldn't tell, folks, and I, I literally cannot justify. I I almost couldn't justify getting a Micah Parsons jersey, and that was 130 bucks. So. To even think about maybe doing a $189 jersey, not great. We can talk more about that on next week's episode. But before I go, you can find me at Joe Scanlon TV on Twitter. You can find Zach. You can, Zach. You can find Zach at uh, at Zach the Voice on Twitter and all platforms. And yeah, we will be back next week to see. What the Renegades have to do in order to make the playoffs. What they may have to do in order to get home field advantage. Wouldn't that be cool? So, until that time, though, always remember, raise some hell.